Welcome to Off the Record. I'm your host, Marika Day, dietitian, nutritionist, recovering perfectionist, and founder of Fueled by Marika Day. Join me here each week as we delve into what it really means to be a healthy and happy human. You'll hear from conversations with experts in their fields to raw and real chats about aspects of health and life that we really don't hear enough about. You'll be left feeling inspired, educated, and empowered to be the best version of you. So sit back, relax, or head on out for your walk, and let's dive on in. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Off The Record. Today's podcast episode is all about the connection between mental health and nutrition. Now, what I'm going to specifically speak to today is how our mental health and our mental well-being impacts our nutrition. So what I'm not going to talk about today is how our nutrition impacts our mental well-being and, you know, our risk of depression or our risk of Alzheimer's disease and those sorts of mental conditions. Um, rather, it's more so on how, yeah, how our mental well-being can impact the way we eat. Now, the reason why I want to talk about this is because I really feel that it's a really undervalued concept and I, I think I guess the word is underestimated in terms of the impact that our mental well-being has on our choices around the foods that we have, the volume of food that we have, why we eat, what we eat. You know, it, it comes into every layer of it. And I guess the reason why it does is because, you know, making decisions is a cognitive process. So making decisions around our food is obviously going to be impaired in some way if our mental well-being is suffering. Um, so that's what we're going to go through today. Now, there are so many ways that our mental well-being could play in on our food and the way that we eat. But what we're going to do today is focus on five key um, areas where nutrition and mental well-being are sort of overlapping and where I guess what I've seen with people that I've worked with is that um, where the mental health side of things is really impacting on the decisions that we make around nutrition. And I guess why it's so important to have this discussion is because going to a dietitian to address some of these things is not necessarily going to be the answer. Rather, it might be actually working on the psychology or on the stress management or on other aspects that are going to play more into the mental health side of things, but still have such a powerful impact on them the way that you eat. And this is one reason that why with Fueled, we do have such a mental health component there is because I've noticed so much that these things are occurring. So let's get into what these things are. So the first one I wanted to speak about was stress and acute coping. So really acute coping mechanisms. So when something is stressful or when something has gone wrong or something is not going our way, we turn to food as an acute coping mechanism or a way to, I guess, numb or distract ourselves from what might be going on. So this one is really, really common. And I would say is on the borderline of semi-normal, like having, you know, chocolate when we are having an absolute meltdown of a day is not necessarily a bad thing. Like, you know, sometimes we just need to have a bit of chocolate to get us through the day. And we know that tomorrow is going to be a better day and that, you know, whatever the problem is at work or at home or whatever it is, is going to get fixed relatively quickly. We just need some ice cream or chocolate or chips to get us through the day. So this one, I don't see as necessarily yeah, a, 
a problem that needs to be fixed. However, if it does, I guess, occur on an ongoing basis, then it falls into the second one, which I'll get to in a second. But where the, the way that this happens, I guess, is that when we are feeling these ways, so when we're feeling stressed, when we might be feeling anxious, down, out of control, there are many reasons why we may turn to food. And it may be that it does just give us that like little boost of serotonin or that little feel good feeling that we haven't been able to get in that day. Or the other thing is that it might be something that people may feel that gives them a bit of a sense of control. Like they can at least control what they're choosing to eat. So some people might choose to, you know, go out and make a really nice dinner or something like that. So that they feel like that they have got control over something in a day that has not been in their control. Now, again, in a short term, like if this is just a one day off thing, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If we are thinking about this over a longer duration of time, having control on your food in that way can be like a symptom of an eating disorder. The other way that this short term stress or acute coping can impact our food decisions or our nutrition choices is just based on the mental capacity that we have or the energy that we have to put towards making changes or behavior change or habit changes. Because again, imagine if you've just had the day from hell, the last thing that you probably want to do is make decisions about what salad to have for dinner or what. You just want to get takeaway because it's just the easiest thing that you can do and everyone's going to be happy with it. Nobody's going to complain at home and you just can't deal with another complaint. So for one of the reasons why this occurs is because of this like decision fatigue and this limited mental capacity that we have. And again, we're just talking on a short term basis. The second way is very similar to the first way that our mental health impacts our nutrition decisions and our um, food choices. And that's through long term coping mechanisms that we're relying on food as a longer term coping mechanism. This typically happens when either we've got in a habit of relying on food as our coping mechanism or we're using food as an avoidance strategy. So what I mean when I say it's an avoidance strategy, it's something that we turn to to numb selective emotions typically. So for example, it might be that we have depression or some other sort of mental illness. And what we found is that we can cope and that we can use this as a formula where we know that we're going to get something. And that something might just be like a five minute sugar hit, but it's something that you can rely on. And when your mental health is not in a great state, that's something that people do turn to. And it's not something to be ashamed of. It's just what the coping mechanisms are that you've learnt to um, to establish over time. And if you haven't yet listened to my episode on food as a coping mechanism, it was just a couple of weeks ago, I definitely suggest going back and listening to that episode if you're feeling like you really resonate with this. So one of the other things that I guess falls into this category of ways that um, our mental health impacts our food choices is when we're talking to specifically uh, past traumas. So whether it be adverse childhood experiences or whether it be, you know, adulthood traumas, some people will turn to food as a way to manage their emotions around past traumas or as a way to, again, numb out, block out certain situations or to feel safe based on what has happened in the past. 
And again, there is nothing wrong with using this as your coping mechanism. If this is what's kept you safe and alive to this day, that is a great coping mechanism. But if it's not serving you anymore, and if it's not helping you to live a life in alignment with your values, then it may be something that you wish to choose to work on with a psychologist. So just an example of how this might play out and trigger warning here, I am going to talk about abuse. So what can happen, and this is actually not all that uncommon in people who've experienced abuse and particularly early childhood or childhood abuse, is that they try and make themselves less desirable and in particular less desirable to the male gaze is something that I've sort of picked up over the time. And one of the ways that people and particularly females tend to do this is through making sure that they are not seen as being physically attractive. So they may choose to uh, make nutrition choices that lead them to gain weight because they feel if they are in a larger body that they will feel safer and more protected. Now, before I move on, I just want to point out that I'm not saying that being in a larger body is less attractive. I wholeheartedly do not believe that. However, what these experiences are of many women that I've worked with in the past is that they feel that they would be less attractive um, and less susceptible to the male gaze if they were in a larger body. And whether that is something that they've consciously decided over time, or it may have been something that they felt, again, was just a safety coping mechanism that they developed in order to stay alive and stay safe in earlier years. Now, I want to use this as an example of, I guess, how important it is to consider these sorts of things when we are talking about nutrition and whether you personally are trying to make changes to live you know a healthier life or a happier life or a more balanced life or whatever it is or whether you're a professional who's working with people like this it's really important to know that no diet no diet ever is going to solve this and this is where calling on a trained psychologist with training in PTSD or training in trauma is going to be essential. And this is where I guess my heart gets so broken so much when I see people go through the ringer with, you know, diets and PTs and programs and apps and everything like that, trying to, I guess, fix this problem that they feel they have, which is actually not a problem. It's their way that they've survived their entire life sometimes. So what I want to say is that if that feels like it really resonates for you, then what I would strongly recommend doing is reaching out to your GP, seeing if you can get a referral to a psychologist and start working on that because the impact that that has on your day-to-day food choices is significant and is relevant to your safety. So that is why it has such a powerful impact. Okay, reason number three, which is a lot lighter than reason number two, but it is relating to joy and pleasure. So really good topic, and it's really good that we can get joy and pleasure from food. But what I've often found both personally and professionally is that for a lot of people, we don't experience a lot of joy and pleasure in our day-to-day lives. So whether it be that, you know, work is hectic, that having a family stressful, that there's financial pressures, you know, there's so much stress and pressure in our daily lives at the moment and for the last quite some time. 
and being an adult is just bloody stressful. There's so many things that I'm like, oh my God, I did, I did not think being an adult, like I'd have to care about this. Like I thought I would have all of these freedoms, which I just, I don't know if I want the freedoms anymore. Anyway, the point is that food can bring a really good and actually easy and convenient source of pleasure and joy. So if you're a foodie or if you just like the taste of sweet things or fatty things or salty things, then food can give us that joy and pleasure. Again, there's nothing wrong with this. Like being a foodie, there's nothing wrong with food being your source of joy. But what I want you to think about is where are you getting satisfaction from in your life outside of food? Because if food is your only source of pleasure, if it's your only joy or your only place where you really feel satisfied and relaxed and in control, then that's when we have a problem. And that's again, where no diet or no way of eating or no food or no, like nothing that you're going to do and just changing in your, I guess, um, day-to-day habits of eating is actually going to address the problem, which is that you are not experiencing pleasure, satisfaction, and joy in your day-to-day life. And again, now that is obviously a much larger problem. And the answers to that are a lot more complex than just downloading some app or, you know, signing up to the next diet. It's about finding things and making time for things that are going to bring you joy. And that, again, is hard for a lot of people. Okay, third Fourth, fourth, we're up to the fourth. Fourth one is related to appetite. So when our mental well-being is um, impaired, so when we are, you know, in a low mood state, when we are depressed, when we're anxious, when we're taking um, medication for our mental well-being, we may see alterations in our appetite that are quite largely out of our conscious control. So examples of this is that it's quite common for people who are experiencing depression to um, have a low appetite and not really feel like eating that much. Or sometimes it does go the opposite way. Uh, And the same goes with anxiety. Again, it's common to have a lower appetite, but again, eating can be something for some people that sort of calms the anxiety. Um, So it can go both ways there. Now, the other thing is if you are taking medication for your mental well-being, so whether it be an antidepressant or an antipsychotic, they can have an impact on your physiological appetite and they might make you feel hungrier or actually feel less hungry because they're making you feel nauseous. So these, again, are things that our mental well-being is having a true impact on our ability to make decisions around how much we're going to eat and what we're going to eat. And again, why it's so important to consider our mental well-being when we're thinking about making nutrition changes. The final one is sleep. Now, you guys know how much I love sleep and how important sleep is. And the reason why sleep, I guess, ties into this whole thing is because when our mental health is, you know, not in the greatest place, if we're having a bit of like a, a low week, a low month, if, you know, our, we've slipped back into depression or our anxiety is higher, sleep changes are something that occurs as one of the most common symptoms of depression, anxiety and other mental health conditions. And so what we typically see is that either people are sleeping more 
or they are sleeping less or having quite disturbed and broken sleep. Now, both of these things are going to impact, again, our appetite and our ability to make choices and decisions around food. So the first example is that, you know, if we are experiencing quite a low mood and we are sleeping a lot, I know for me personally, you know, when my depression sort of rears its head and one of the things that I feel more comfortable doing is just staying in bed and sleeping. It just, it's just all I feel like doing when my depression is sort of popping its head up. So the way that that can then impact our food choices is because we just sleep and we don't actually eat as much. So we're struggling to have the appetite or struggling to have the effort or the energy to make a meal or to cook or to prepare anything at all. So it can impact our food choices in that way. The other way on the flip side is that if we are you know, not sleeping as well or having quite poor quality sleep, we do know that sleep deprivation does have quite a significant impact on your appetite. So what sleep deprivation tends to do is tends to increase your hunger and then also tends to increase your cravings for like high carbohydrate foods, high sugar foods to try and give you that energy. And there is actually evidence to support this. But one of the things I personally notice as well, just from my personal and anecdotal experience, is that when I feel tired, I feel like I can't decide whether it's food that I need for energy or whether it's sleep that I need for energy. And sometimes sleep is not the most convenient thing when it's the middle of the day and you've got deadlines. So going to food is a much better way to attempt to get energy when you're exhausted or when you're tired. So these are sort of ways that our um, sleep then can impact, again, not only just our choices about the types of foods, but our physiological body in the sense of our appetite control. So they are our five ways, well, the five ways that we're covering today, uh, ways that our mental well-being impacts and plays such a significant role in our nutrition, in our eating habits and in our eating routines as well. And this is why it is so important to really understand what is going on for people when like and what is going on for you when you are trying to make changes to the way that you're eating. Be compassionate with yourself that, you know, if your mental health is not in a great place, And if you are experiencing any of these things that I've just mentioned, then you may need to adapt what you're doing based on your mental well-being. And that is not a bad thing. That is working with you. That is finding a strategy that works for you rather than trying to sort of fit into, you know, what somebody has said online or what somebody else does. They don't have your past. They don't have your experiences. They don't have your life. So it's really important when you're going on like a health journey that you think about your mental well-being and what role it has played in your food and in your nutrition and in the impact that it just has on your day-to-day life. So that is all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed that little episode. Um, if you did enjoy it, love to hear from you on Instagram as always. So tag me at Marika Day or Fueled and can't wait to chat with you guys next week.